Amen. Amen. Fantastic. So we have been um, going through uh, different characters of the Bible, and we've been uh, going under this title of Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. And now this um, is going to, well, it'll be It'll actually be finishing by Christmas, this series that we're currently going through, but it will be um, just continuing for the next couple of weeks, and then there'll be some of our usual Christmas specials through December. So what I'm saying is we're coming towards the end of this service, this series, ah, um, but it is obviously a series that we could dig into at any time in the future, because we have only began to scratch the surface of some of the characters of, of the pages of Scripture. And some of those people that we've looked at are what we might describe as Bible heroes or people that we um, have been familiar with growing up. And some of them have been what we might call unsung heroes or, or people that we might not have noticed uh, as obviously as others on the pages of Scripture. But every time we have uh, looked at these people in the Bible, um, we have found out that God uses ordinary everyday people like you and me for his extraordinary and wonderful purposes. And we might think, why would God work through me? And the pages of scripture say, of course, he will work through you. In fact, it even says that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong in Corinthians and chapter 1. And the, the reality is that God doesn't do things the way that human minds would usually expect him to do them. He is so far above. His wisdom is way beyond ours. And he works with people that you and I might look at and say, well, I'm not sure about that person. But God will work in that person. And you might look in the mirror and you might say, I'm not sure about that person. But I want to say to you today, God is sure about you. He knows who you are. He knows who he's made you to be. And he wants to allow, he wants you to allow him to work through you so that he might fulfill his plan and his purposes. And this morning we're talking about a really key person in scripture, a really key character from the Old Testament, Yaakov. Yaakov, have you heard of Yaakov? Yes. Go on then, Hugh, who's Yaakov? In James. James would be one of them. That, we'll get on to that. <laughs> Jacob, yes. Jacob and James. Well, let's get on to that quickly, shall we? So the person that we're looking at is Jacob from the Old Testament. Um, but Jacob, or Yaakov, was, who was a patriarch to the nation of Israel and the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, it comes from the same derivative as a lot of other names. Um, so it's a, Jacob, who the, the person who we would usually... Uh, described as Jacob in our, in, in our English translations of the Bible. Um, that name comes from uh, an Old Test- is the Old Testament patriarch, son of Isaac and Rebekah, and father of the founders of the 12 tribes, from the late Latin Jacobus, which comes from the Greek of Jacobos, which comes from the Hebrew of Yaakov. We say Yaakov. Yaakov. See, we speak Hebrew this morning. And it literally means this, the one that takes by the heel or a supplanter. So is Jago here this morning? Is Jago? Jago's not here. We do have a Jago, um, but he's not here this morning, I don't think. Um, If your name is Jago, Yago, Diego, Giacomo, James, James, Jacques, 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 
Très bien, oui. Merci, merci beaucoup. Uh, sorry for anybody who actually speaks French for my, for my appalling use of the language. Um, or Jack, if you're called any of these things, then your name is derived from the same place as this Yaakov. Did you know that? I think it's quite interesting. Um, and, and I looked at this, I was like, well, how could Jacobus and Jacob, why have well, it's because in the uh, Greek and in the Latin languages, if usually if a, it was a male name, it would have an us or an os added on to the end. Um, so Jacobus so is literally just the male version of um, Jacob. Um, so James, the brother of Jesus, thank you, Hugh, who would have been uh, walking around and talking with Jesus, would probably have been called Yaakov. And we've just called him James in our um, New Testament, which has been uh, translated through Greek and then um, translated into English. So, um, in fact, in the Spanish Bibles, James, who is the New Testament James, is called Santiago. Whoa, what, what's that about? That's totally different, right? Well, break it down. Saint Iago. Santiago, St. James. So isn't it interesting? It's so important that we understand the nuances of language and how we've translated things. And of course, we're just talking about a name here. And even in one single name, there are so many different ways of hearing it and understanding it and thinking about it. Uh, that, uh, you know, it, of course, there are challenges when we're taking things from ancient Hebrew and Greek languages and trying to understand them in our, in our English uh, language or our Welsh language or, and in our Western mindsets. We really need to understand and, and learn what it means to try and dig into what scripture means, what it meant originally, how did it come across, how was it communicated to the original readers and try and uh, understand that. So we're going to look at this character, uh, we're going to call him Jacob for the rest of time just for the sake of ease. Um, uh, and here in Genesis 25 we hear about his birth. Shall we read these words together if they're clear enough for you? If you're not able to or don't want to, that's fine too. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So you could literally say, Jacob came out fighting. He was already wrestling with his brother and fighting his way out. And this pattern of Jacob's life was indicated even before he took his first breath. Uh, in fact, he'd already wrestled with his brother inside the womb, so much so, and, you know, if, 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 you've, if you've carried a child, you know that there is movement and you, and you sense these movements. Um, and with twins, I would imagine um, that that's kind of amplified and, and the moving is a little bit, you know, even more pronounced. But uh, for uh, his mother, it was so um, pronounced that she went to the Lord and, and inquired of the Lord. And you, you knew it was serious when it said they went to inquire of the Lord. And she said, what is going on inside of me? And this is what uh, the Lord said to her. The Lord said, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. 
This was an unexpected and certainly an unconventional twist because in their mindset, in their ancient uh, Hebrew uh, mindset, in their, sorry, in their ancient um, uh, understanding of culture, the older would always have the honor and the younger would serve the older. And culture would have dictated that the younger brother would be subservient uh, and there's no way you would think about the it being the other way round. Now, the Lord either, and, and lots of people would posture differently about this and discuss it, the Lord either chose Jacob for this purpose, um, and so therefore was just pronouncing this and everything which unfolded came after that, or the Lord foresaw and foreknew how Jacob's life and how the, 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 the family that followed would unfold, and so he... Um, he, he foresaw that journey and then, and then spoke about that because he knew that was what was going to happen. Do you know what? I don't mind which it is. Which it is. It doesn't make any difference. Either way, God has spoken. And God has said, this is what is going to happen. This is the way it's going to be. But let's dig into who Jacob was, shall we? Jacob, the father of Israel, of the, of the nations, the tribes of Israel... The one who was a key turning point, the one who received an incredible promise from God, was a manipulative and deceptive scoundrel. Sorry if that upsets you, but it's from the Bible. (laughs) And here we see a classic story that you might be familiar with from Genesis 25, chapter 29, that helps to illustrate this. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew... Esau came in from the open country famished. Now, by this point, we've, uh, the, the, the Bible establishes for us that Esau loved to go out hunting. He loved catching wild game. And uh, Esau's father particularly liked the wild game that he would catch. And so, so Esau kind of had favor with his dad because he caught these, these, this wonderful, uh, these wonderful animals for him to eat. Um, uh, Jacob, he liked to be at home a little bit more. Uh, around the ha- around the house, and so he had favour with his mum, who uh, was was more keen on the idea of, I guess, him being safely at home and and being around the house in that context. Um, so Jacob has been off on one of his hunting expeditions, and um, he comes back and he's absolutely famished. He's obviously not uh, eaten for a long time. He said to Jacob, "Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished." Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Wow. Anybody experience sibling rivalry in their, in their own lives? I mean, I've said this before, but for me and my sister, it was literally, literal, actual fighting over who's going to have the chair closest to the fire, um, which also happened to have the best view of the telly. I'm not sure which one we were really fighting over, whether it was the fire or the telly, but... These guys, now this is, this is, wow, this is major. First, sell me your birthright. He says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Now, this may not understand what this means, this birthright thing. Well, the birthright of the firstborn son of Isaac and Rebekah would have meant headship of the clan, and a double portion 
of the inheritance that the parents were handing down. These boys were both heirs to Abraham's promise. But in that moment of desperation, Esau was obviously so desperately hungry, felt like he was about to die. Jacob capitalized on that and twisted the birthright out of him. And because of that, Esau despised that birthright because he knew on the days that followed that should have been my birthright. Jacob, and I'm going to also add his mum, also used deceit to access his blessing. Now, my perspective on this would be God had already spoken. And I think Jacob would have known what had been spoken. And I think God, of, God was capable of fulfilling his promise to Jacob. But I would suggest that they took it into their own hands in a way that was unhelpful and was wrong. We're going to start this little section in Genesis 26. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and also Basimath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now Esau had known his father's favor as firstborn due to his, his, his hunting ability. And, but Jacob had found favor with his mother as the home bird. But Esau had compromised and brought grief into the family by marrying somebody that by, by custom they shouldn't have done. Someone outside of their customs. And this brought grief to the family. And this may be something of what God had foreseen and what God would know was going to unfold and take place. But whatever the reason is, as Isaac's days drew to a close, as he came towards the point where he knew he was dying, he said to Esau, go and hunt some game and prepare a meal so that we can have a, basically have a celebration and I can pass on to you my blessing. The blessing that a father would bestow upon the, the firstborn son so that they could take the inheritance, they could take the leadership, the headship of the family and they could have their uh, birthright. But Rebecca, their mum, had overheard and so she made a plot with Jacob to deceive Isaac and steal the blessing that should have gone to Esau so that Jacob could take that blessing instead. And one thing I do want to say about this story is they knew the power of the blessing of God. They knew that if Isaac spoke that blessing over Jacob, that blessing was the power of God on his life. So however deceitful and wrong the actives, the, 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 the actions may have been, they knew the power of God's blessing. And I wonder if we underestimate 
The power of God's blessing. The power of the words that we speak. Scripture is very clear that we can speak life and we can speak death with the power of our tongue. I want to encourage you, speak blessing over yourself. Speak blessing over your family. Speak blessing over our church. Speak blessing over the earth. Speak blessing over your community. Speak blessing over your workplace. Speak the blessing and the good things of God. Don't underestimate the power of the blessing of God and our ability to speak it. And don't speak death. Don't speak curses. Don't speak those negative things that the enemy would want to infiltrate our hearts and our minds and our communities and our contexts with. Amen? Let's know the power of God's blessing. Rebecca also knew the way to her husband's heart through his stomach. And she prepared a tasty meal for him. Now, Jacob is actually, uh, sorry, Isaac is actually very confused. He says, how, how have you produce this food so quickly you know you've only just gone out hunting well actually Rebecca had sent him to go and get a goat from their herd and she'd managed to obviously disguise it and flavor it well enough to convince uh, Isaac that this was some of the wild game and Jacob then dressed in Esau's smelly clothes and we might think well this is a bit strange um they didn't launder clothes in the same way that you and I launder clothes these days So these clothes would really have smelt of Esau. (laughs) Like really have smelt of Esau. Do you you get the idea? They didn't just kind of have a faint, oh, what aftershave are you wearing today? (laughs) What aftershave did Esau wear yesterday? Because now I I smell. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about They smelt of Esau. Okay, do I, I don't need to be any more ex, uh, explanation on that. And it also, <laughs> this is the bit that's, oh, what? It's pretty amazing that they got away with this. They covered some of uh, Jacob's smooth skin with some animal fur to convince Isaac, who was, let's be fair, he'd lost his sight. He was losing some of his natural senses and some of his, uh, perhaps some of his ability to understand the world around him. And in that way, they managed to uh, successfully deceive Isaac because of his age, his confusion and his blindness. They successfully succeeded in, in deceiving him and stealing the blessing that should have been Esau's and it became Jacob's. So says this, Jacob went, to, went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice of, is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, replied Jacob. Whew. Church, can we understand something here? This blessing is the blessing over the people of Israel. This is God's blessing over his chosen nation. 
God uses ordinary broken people to fulfill his wonderful and extraordinary purposes. Right from the beginning, we've been messing it around and messing with God's ways. And yet he continues to bless. And he continues to have his purpose and his plans fulfilled. Amen? Jacob had God's blessing. So he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. I don't want to suggest what stage of the harvest the field is in at the point when this is talking about. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Jacob received the blessing that was meant for the firstborn. And Esau then, who has gone away to hunt game for his father, he returns to receive his father's blessing and is understandably more than a little bit outraged and enraged. And he swears that he's going to get vengeance upon his brother. And because of that, Jacob is sent to flee to his uncle Laban. And I wonder in that process the sort of the pain Rebecca having to because of the situation that she has engineered she then has to send this home bird of a son of hers away and doesn't get to have relationship and interaction with him she misses out on the growing up of his children and the the wives that he marries and the, the how his life unfolds for much of it from that point onwards but anyway Jacob is sent to flee Uh, to his uncle Laban. But as he is on his way, Jacob has a revelation of the presence and the power of God. Does anybody know where this photo was taken? Seth and Rosemary might be able to recognise. It's probably not an angle that you'd have looked at it from before. But this is a place in Sidmouth, It's one of the beaches at Sidmouth, which is near where I grew up. And it's called, can you guess, Jacob's Ladder. And that and other places that are called Jacob's Ladder. It's a very beautiful spot on a nice day. Um, And uh, yes, I have some stories from my childhood in, in this area, but I won't go into those. Now, when he reached a certain place... When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. What a comfortable pillow. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Does this sound familiar? 
And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. Does this sound familiar? And will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This encounter with God is amazing. And and. Jacob exclaims, surely the Lord is in this place. But the most important thing in all of this scene is not Jacob's ladder or the angels descending and ascending. It is the promise of God. It's the promise that God makes to his child, to his, to his people. And in this moment, Jacob's response was right. He honored the presence of God. Later on, he came and he had an altar here, and, but he, he, and he trusted, but he trusted the promise that God had made to be faithful to him. And obviously, Isaac and Abraham had received very similar promises from God previously. God will always be faithful. God will always be faithful to his promise. We don't need to doubt that God's word will be fulfilled. Will we always be faithful? Probably not. But we can have the direction of our hearts and the direction of our lives set towards faithfulness towards the Lord. Knowing that there'll be days when we walk in the other direction and there'll be days when we stumble, there'll be seasons in our lives where we struggle and we fall and things take hold of us. But if we can set our, the direction, the trajectory of our lives towards seeking to be faithful to God, We'll be able to walk with him and we will see his promises and his power at work in our lives. Amen. A little story that comes along the way which I found interesting. Jacob reaped something that he'd sown and he had to deal with the consequences. You see, Jacob went to Laban and he fell in love with his second daughter, Rachel. And he worked for seven years in order to gain her hand in marriage. Now, when Louise and I got to know each other, there was quite a period of time before we managed to uh, get to the point where we were married. And it was challenging. But it wasn't seven years of working for her dad. <laughs> this, was, this was a challenge. This was a hard challenge, a hard work. And, but the Bible tells us that those seven years seemed just like a day to him. His infatuation and his love, it made it all worthwhile. But what happened? Laban had another daughter, and she was older, and she wasn't married yet. Laban deceived Jacob and sent his elder daughter Leah, or Leah, into him at the point of consuming, consummating the marriage. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Oh. Oh. Ouch. Deception. Jacob had a little taste of his own medicine. He was deceived in a... Let's face it, fairly similar way 
to how he had deceived his own father. Within the culture of the day, he was still able to marry Rachel. And he did actually marry Rachel as well. I don't want to know what that family dynamic was like. In fact, we do. We, we do know what that family dynamic was like. But he was able to marry her. But the knock-on effect of what took place here was great. It would have been a disgrace. Laban, the older, the older child, and there are still customs, there are still, some, there are still plenty of, of, of places where, uh, and cultures and families where this would still be the case. The older child would have to marry first. And so Laban, in order to save his own face and to kind of cunningly make a way for this to happen, this is what he did. Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the other one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. Fourteen years. Fourteen years. Wow. But Jacob obviously favoured and loved Rachel in a way that was more meaningful than Leah. And the Lord saw Leah's pain and favoured her with children first. And things get really complicated. You can imagine the jealousy. And then because of the desperation, obviously Rachel has this desperation that she hasn't borne him a child yet, so she sends his, her servant to bear him a child so that at least it's from her side of the family. And then Leah stops being able to conceive children and then she sees that the children are happening on the other side, so she sends her servant in. And so, so is born the tribes of Israel. What a complicated, I don't know what to call it. God did hear Rachel's plea too. And she was able to bear Joseph and Benjamin to, to, for, for Jacob. So Jacob, let's face it, was the head of a rather messy family. It was a bit crazy what was going on there. And our minds can often romanticize the idea of the tribes of Israel. We hear them quoted and spoken about in the Psalms and we, and we hear the beautiful names of the tribes of Israel. But it, this, was, this was a complex. But God is faithful to his promise. God's plans and purposes will be fulfilled on the earth. The reality is that they were always a very human and messy family from the very beginning. Jealousy, fighting, immorality, deception, these were family traits. But God is always faithful. As Jacob's story continues, he falls out with Laban and he flees. We can't go into all of the reasons and everything. But within his time looking after Laban's animals, he has very cleverly created a scenario where he has grown his own wealth. Um, read about it yourself. Go, go, go and find out how he did that. But as he, as he does flee from Laban, Laban pursues him. And they actually do manage to make an agreement. And Jacob continues on his way and he heads for Canaan. But what did it mean to be going back to Canaan? 
Then he had to face that brother. That brother who had sworn vengeance on him all those years ago. So he sends some cattle, some, some, some livestock ahead. Go and give these to my brother Esau. Let's just try and smooth the pathway a little bit. Let's try and iron things out a touch. But the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. And he was. And on his way, before facing Esau, he faces a much more formidable opponent. Because Jacob had a wrestle with somebody who is often described as God. Jacob's own words, surely I have seen the Lord. Surely the Lord is in this place. Jacob is given a, 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 a pronouncement afterwards about how he has wrestled with God and prevailed. And you remember earlier in this series, I uh, talked about some names where it was th- these, these were name changes. And then there was, a, there was one which I mistakenly thought where Saul becoming Paul was a name changer, but it wasn't. But it was a game changer. Um, Saul and Paul just being the different versions of the same name that he would have been con- continued to have been called both all of his life. But this one really was a name changer. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. I've always found that very fascinating. He couldn't overpower him, so he just touched his hip. I mean, God, God, I mean, I mean, I've got, obviously I've got some muscles and stuff, but I don't think I would be able to face a wrestling match with God. So, so what does this mean? It meant that there was a tenacity and a, and a, and a, and a, and a, a fighting spirit within Jacob that God recognized and saw. But he just touched his hip just to let him know. I, I, could, have, I could have wiped you out from the face of the earth. I mean, you go back to those fights over the chair by the fire. Just want you to know, Becky, wherever you are, you may be older than me, but these days, anyway, God could have, but he just touched his hip. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Let me say this. Don't expect every encounter you have with God to be warm and fuzzy. Sometimes we... And I love just resting in the presence of God, feeling the sense of his love and his warmth and his peace and his embrace. And the Holy Spirit so often ministers to us in that way. But don't expect every conversation and every encounter you have with God to be warm and fuzzy. 
But do expect God to be good. And do expect him to be faithful to his promises. And the ongoing story of the history of this family of Jacob or Israel is, the, is very complicated. But it brings us to God's promise in Jesus. Israel is, an old English, is from the Old English, the Jewish people or the Hebrew nation from the Latin Israel, which is from the Greek, which is from the Hebrew, Israel. He that striveth with God. It's a symbolic and proper name conferred on Jacob and extended to his descendants from Sarah. He fought from these words, from, from the word Sarah, he fought, contended, and El, which means God. But from that day on, Jacob led his family with a limp. There's no genuine way that a man could win a wrestle with God. And Jacob indeed limped from that day. So what did it mean that he prevailed? He had realized that he needed this man he was wrestling with. He needed what he had. And that was God's blessing. I won't let go until you bless me. And God's blessing trumps everything else that we can have, church. Any material thing on this earth is nothing compared to the blessing of God. Will we value God's blessing over everything else? And then we do get to the point where Jacob goes to face Esau. And he is, even though he's had this encounter with God. Well, in fact, he's probably a little bit more worried now because he can't run away so fast. Because he's limping. It says this, he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Humility. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they, I almost, as I read this this week, I almost wept at the beauty of this picture of these, family, these, these brothers coming together. Jacob had sought to pacify Esau after all these years with his material gifts. But in the beautiful story, we can see how maturity had helped Esau and Jacob to truly know what was important. And that was their family relationship. Esau saw his brother and embraced him. He'd laid aside the vengeful anger and was able to embrace him. Let us be a mature church family, shall we? Let's be a mature church family. Jacob's greatest faith moment, however, for all of these things, this wrestling with God, this encounter with the, the ladder and the angels descending from heaven, and all the other things that we see take place in the life of Jacob, probably not the thing that we imagine the New Testament tells us. Jacob's greatest faith moment. See, when Hebrews 11, which is a passage which talks about the, what we call the heroes of the faith passage, mentions Jacob, this is what it says. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. I like that they both get a blessing there. This is this. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed Esau each of Joseph's sons, and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. That is how Hebrews 11 decides to describe 
the blessed, the, the, the faith of this man, Jacob. Well, here's an interesting thing which happens in Genesis 48. Jacob deliberately blesses Ephraim over his older brother, Manasseh. Why? Because this is what God had said was his plan. And despite the human customs, despite the expectations, despite it may looking strange and odd on the family, Jacob had seen that it was God's plan and he expressed that in faith. Joseph had brought Manasseh to, his, to Jacob's right hand and he'd brought Ephraim to the left hand and Jacob literally twist, um, put his hands across each other to bless them in the other direction. Joseph protests and Jacob basically says, I know, but this is the will of God. Jacob knew that God is faithful, that he's worthy of worship. And also, reading into this passage, perhaps he knew that God often has favour upon the unfavoured. The one who wasn't expected to be receiving the blessing again. And ultimately, through all of this, this journey, this story of Yaakov, it brings us to Jesus. We can't read the pages of scripture without being taken to Jesus. Matthew 1. And I hope that this year, if you hear this genealogy read during a carol service or during a Christmassy service, that you, this will jump out at you. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then we jump down to 16. And Jacob the father, another Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. God's plan from the beginning when Esau and Jacob were having a fight in their mother's womb, was that the Messiah would be born of David's line. Predetermined before the beginning of time. God's plan and purposes will be fulfilled on the earth. God's promise is faithful. And this morning, God chooses you. He does. He chooses to be at work in you, to be at work through you. And I want to encourage you this morning. Do not rule yourself or others out due to your failures. There are things that we do that need dealing with. There are certain consequences to certain things. But there is nothing which can stop God from being at work in our lives working in and through us, if we come to him, if we sort things out, if we work through things, if we face consequences, God wants to be at work in and through you. Do not prioritize 
material things over the blessing of God. This is probably our culture's biggest, biggest challenge. Arguably, there are others. Don't prioritize the material things of this world over the blessing of God. And do not doubt that God's purposes will be fulfilled. Do trust in the plans and the promises of God. Do recognize your own weakness in the light of his strength. And do seek the blessing and the will of God over your life above everything else. Seek his blessing. Seek his will and his plan. Let's pray together. If you want an encounter with the living God today, we read about some incredible encounters that Jacob had. Just, let's all pray together. Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you more clearly. Lord, I pray that I might have encounters with you that shape who I am, shape my destiny in you. Amen. Secondly, if you need to keep on wrestling for a blessing, if there is a blessing that you need to wrestle for, Father, I pray that you would give those people the strength and the tenacity to hold on for what it is that you want them to have in Jesus' name. Amen. And finally, for God's people across the world, for us here in Aberystwyth and for the church of Jesus Christ across the world, the many forms that that takes and the many people that includes and involves, let us trust together with everything that we see going on in the earth, whatever we see going on for the nation of Israel, whatever we see going on in in Ukraine, whatever we see going on across the earth, Lord, we trust your plan and your purpose will be fulfilled. We give you honor, Lord. Would you bless us for your name's sake, not for ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen.